T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. We have Sale Capaccio, who's now ready on the West Her Hotline. Sale, I, I know I'm not sure how much you know about the situation, but we, Corey and I were just talking about this Isaiah Wilson situation. He has now been cut from his second team, and he's a 2020 first-round pick. How difficult, in, I mean, you've covered the league and you've covered the Bills for some time now. How difficult and how wrong would things have to go for a team to basically trade your first-round pick one year after taking him? Yeah, this went south really quickly with this young man. And, you know, obviously we don't know the entire backstory of what he's going through, what's going on. But according to what I read from Ian Rappaport, he has basically told people he doesn't want help right now. Um, So, you know, whatever's going on in his life, it seems like he is not in football mode. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to do whatever he's doing. And that was clear with the Tennessee Titans when they made the decision to move on from him very, very quickly, which you never see, like you said. And then for him to be what? He was in – he was there for like a week, two weeks, whatever it was in Miami, um, for them to already move on from him just speaks to the fact that obviously they realized very quickly that this was a young man who is not going to be able to help them. And hopefully, you know, for whatever is out there and, you know, what's going on, maybe he needs some help himself, but right now he's not a person that's willing to reach out to do that. So, Sale, before we kind of get into I, I got some other questions for you on, on sort of the week that was for the rest of the AFC East. Before we do that, I, I kind of wanted to get some some thoughts from you on the on the signing yesterday with, with Jacob Hollister, former Wyoming teammate of Josh Allen. The Bills go out and they get, I think, a very good deal for Jacob Hollister. When, in, when you look at uh, the New York Jets who signed former Bill Tyler Croft, the Bills were able to bring Hollister in here for less than Croft was given on a one-year deal to go to New York. So talk a little bit about um, you know that decision and whether or not you believe it might turn. I, I, basically, my question is: Do you think that's it for the Zach Ertz idea? If uh, if if they go out and they give Hollister the uh, the league minimum, I don't think it's it. Um, you know, but I think it's diminishing. It, it seems like whatever. If indeed the Bills were in on Zach Ertz, which I think you know most reporting has said, and I think we could figure out they probably would be in some on some level. Um, I would say it's diminishing. But I don't think that just completely takes it off the table. If you still get an opportunity to trade for that player, or if the Eagles wind up you know, releasing him because nobody's going to give them what they're asking for, then I think that you have to keep the door open, the possibility. But I think Brandon Bean has, you know, he's going to, he's not just going to give up whatever the Eagles want, and he's not just going to suddenly say, well, you know what, we got to do this, and I'm going to reach and. Uh, the value is not what I wanted. He's going to hold a line on what he believes is right for his franchise and right for his team. And obviously he doesn't feel that whatever the Eagles want, if that's the case, is um, what he's willing to give up. So I, I just think Brandon Bean is going to make sure he does what's right for his team, and it doesn't make sense right now, obviously. Now maybe it might. It might still make sense. 
down the road, but he's not about to rush anything. So, Sal, I, I want to ask you on the Eagles front of this because, you know, I think if, if you're an NFL fan and you're an outsider looking at that franchise, pretty safe to say Howie Roseman's had a really tough go of it, really for the better part of a full year now, not just a, a league year, but kind of a full calendar year. And I'm wondering, you know, maybe the Zach Ertz trade maybe sums it up best, but you know, talk a little bit about, like, in that position, if you're a team who's maybe overvaluing the asset you have on your roster and now it looks like teams have moved on, what's the delicate balance if you're like a Howie Roseman or just an NFL GM that you have to sort of strike with these types of moves because if you wait out too long and your your your, your expectations of getting a third-round pick, which is what it was reported they had been sort of stuck on trying to get for Ertz, and, and now the Chargers, they move on, they get Jared Cook, the Bills, they potentially move on. On in, a, in a move to get Jacob Hollister. What's the balance that you have to strike as an NFL GM about maybe sitting too long on, on value that, that maybe no one else is seeing? It is it is a balance. You're right about that, and it's hard because here's the thing. I, I think it's easy for anyone to say, well, geez, you're not getting what you want, so you better lower your price. But, you know, you also want to make sure you – these guys, they want to make sure they tell the rest of the league, like, look, you know, we have a value on this player, and this is what we value him at. And eventually you probably have to move off that. But you don't want to send a message to the league that, well, we put a value on, but you know what, ah, two weeks later it's not working out, so we're just going to you know, lower our value. It's the same thing with free agency. It's the same thing with a guy like Matt Milano, let's say, or a player that the Bills um, haven't brought back, Isaiah McKenzie. I mean, whoever it is, you put a value on a player. How high are you willing to go? A J.J. Watt would be a good example, right? I mean, the Bills, if, they, if indeed they were in on J.J. Watt, they obviously had a certain amount of money they were willing to spend. You don't just continue to go higher and higher just because you like the player. You can't do that. You have to take the emotion out of the equation. And it is, it is a tough situation for a guy like Howie Roseman. You also have to remember, you know, they're rebuilding. They're coming up. They, this franchise just won a Super Bowl a few years ago. They are rebuilding. So, you know, he has to try and figure out what's best for his roster long term. But he doesn't want to just give away players. And he doesn't want to just give away assets. It just doesn't work like that. And you do not want to send the rest, a message to the rest of you know, the NFL and every other GM that you are willing to do that. It's just not, it's not prudent for any GM to do that. So it is a balance, but I also understand from his perspective and any GM's perspective why you would hold your line for a while. Sal Capaccio here joining me live on the Wester Hotline for Sports Talk Saturday. Our uh, shortened, condensed version of Sports Talk Saturday will still be going until 2 o'clock today, just a 12-2 show. Sal, I'm glad you mentioned Isaiah McKenzie. He's kind of the next piece I wanted to get with you on here. And, and maybe less about Isaiah McKenzie, but more about the role that McKenzie has played since coming over um, a few years ago um, on waivers. And, and I'm wondering, you know, maybe this is more so just to the uh, sake of waiting and and maybe you know the Isaiah McKenzie's camp and his and his agent is is looking for more money than the Bills potentially think he's worth and are allowing him to sort of see if he can get that value on the market but if the Bills are unable to strike a deal with Isaiah McKenzie to bring him back uh, do, do you suspect that they're still out there looking for someone to fill that role because I do think it's a sneaky important role um, in Brian Dable's offense and I think you can tell me all you know till you're blue in the face the, the I think the Emmanuel Sanders move was fantastic but I don't think um, that that closes the deal on what they need to add to the room considering the role that that I think is is deeply missing without McKenzie in the lineup I agree with you on that Emmanuel Sanders is um is not that type of player right I mean like if you're looking for the guy that 
And the way I've described it, you know, going back a couple months is what the Bills need on offense is Isaiah McKenzie with a turbo button, right? I mean, they need even more. They need the guy like Isaiah McKenzie is, but they need an even more dynamic guy. That doesn't rule out and say, I'm not telling you, they don't need Isaiah McKenzie. I love Isaiah. I think Isaiah would still be a very good, I'd love to have him as an addition to this offense. I think he's a very valuable player in that role. But yeah, I don't, I think that they still have to find it, wherever that is. Um, maybe they feel, you know, these guys come out of the draft a lot now, right? They're just, they're really dynamic. The game has changed so much at the college level. You're finding more and more of these speedsters that you get the ball in their hands and they create space. You get them in space and they can do something. Maybe they feel that they're going to be able to find that in the draft. Maybe what we see here, Nate, is they go to the draft. If they don't find it and find the value in the draft, then they revisit a guy like Isaiah if he hasn't found a job yet. You know, we'll see. Maybe the other thing I'll bring up, too, and we don't know this, and I don't know this, Isaiah McKenzie might be looking for something different than he's had in Buffalo. Maybe he feels, look, I got Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, and now Emmanuel Sanders. How many snaps am I seeing? They got Jake Kumaro, Duke Williams, Isaiah Hodgins. How many snaps am I seeing? Sure, there's a, there's a role for me in Buffalo, but I think people forget about the player's equation, the player's side of this as well, which is these guys, someone like Isaiah might feel, I'm more valuable than what the Bills are going to offer me. I don't know that. And, you know, he could still return punts and kicks without Andre Roberts now. But I do think it's something to think about that maybe it's him that wants something different, and, you know, we'll see where it goes. So, Sale, I, I, as I mentioned, I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about the, the rest of the AFC East in particular. Um, the two teams that have been making maybe some of the most moves are the Jets and Patriots, and I don't think that's um, I don't think it's a surprise for us or for really anybody. Two teams that um, struggled last year, had lots of cap space this upcoming offseason, and they're utilizing it. And I want to start with the Jets first um, because I think ultimately they, they end up with some of the higher-end moves um, of the two teams and, and I like the, the addition of Corey Davis a lot sale but the Carl Lawson move makes a lot of sense and, and I think we're starting to see the shift in culture and I know that you know there hasn't been any preseason or even you know any training camp and legitimate practice yet but I think we're starting to see the difference in Robert Sala being the head coach there in New York than a guy like Adam Gase. Well 100% I mean he is the exact opposite of Adam Gase right it's just like Sean McDermott's the exact opposite of Rex Ryan. And oftentimes you see that when teams hire new coaches. I like what the Jets have done as far as the players they brought in. I think that's really nice, some of the players. Um, I don't know, maybe they overpaid a bit for Corey Davis, even though I really like the player. But that's okay. I mean, that's what happens sometimes in free agency. But the Jets still have a lot of work to do around the roster. Uh, to me, they're still at best the third best, even probably the fourth best team in the division, um, even with some of these additions. they just Their roster was so void of talent last year even gaining a few of these higher-end players, if you will, you know, even if you say a Tier 1, a guy like Carl Lawson maybe, Tier 2 maybe free uh, wide receiver, and a guy like Corey Davis, something like that, whatever you want to term them, even, even if you think even higher of them, I think they still have a lot of work to do around their roster overall. You know, they're not going to go out there and suddenly take over the AFC East with these moves, although I agree with you that, you know, Robert Salah is putting his footprint on there, his imprint, and so is Joe Douglas. You know, this he's trying to build through the draft. He's going to still try to do that. He's got all these picks. Um, and what's going to happen at quarterback? Are they going to build around Sam Darnold? I'll tell you this. If they go into next year with a rookie and Zach Wilson, I mean, that's that's another however long you want to wait. Now, granted, rookies can come in and play really well right away. We've seen that. Herbert, Burrow, guys like that. But I, I think they're, they're still a ways away with the talent overall in the roster from 1 to 53. Well, then let's kind of move over to the Patriots sale because I think – you know, at first, uh, I was hot and heavy, a lot of volume at, uh, you know, in terms of free agency and the additions they've made as the dust has settled and the contracts have come to light. 
Where do you stand on guys like Nelson Aguilar, who's making you know four million more a year than a Juju Smith-Schuster just signed for? Um, is likely going to be making just slightly less than what Kenny Galladay, who was widely considered the top wide receiver on the market, was getting. And you look at kind of where Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar, who are by the way. Nice players, um, but you know I don't think anyone's kidding themselves that that either of them have like wide receiver two potential. They're really kind of more wide receiver threes at best. So with that said, and with the money that you saw get handed out, what would you say your overall thoughts are of of what the Patriots did in free agency? Super aggressive, obviously we know that, and it's kind of a little bit of a, a change of what we've seen. They they get all these comp picks every year because of the opposite. They let guys go. But see, here's the thing. This is what it is to be like an, a regular NFL team. This is what teams have to do. They have, they have work to do. They do not have Tom Brady anymore. They, they don't have guys going there to play on the cheap uh, just to win rings. They don't have Tom Brady to cover up all the holes around their roster. So now they have to spend in free agency to fill those holes. And they went out and they got good players. But there's still a massive gap right now at quarterback between the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills, the team they're trying to chase. Um, you cannot convince me that Cam Newton is – a guy that can, you know, bridge that gap the way that they've had in the past, even if you surround him with that talent. I'm also, I'm also, you know, wondering how they're going to philosophically run their offense. It's great to say, like, look at this. My, my gosh, they got these two great tight ends. They're going to run a lot of 12 personnel. And, you know, I know Warren Sharp's done a lot of work on this, and he's excellent saying, like, 12 personnel is the way to go. That's great. But you know what? It reminds me a lot of the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are a good team. They're a good offense. But, A, they're very limited because they don't have explosive playmaking ability, and I don't know where that's going to come from with the Patriots. Number two, um, you know, there's less margin for error. If you're going to try and win 24-21 every game because of this philosophy of running the ball like this, there's less margin for error. And number three, what happens when you get down? So, yeah, they've improved. I, I agree. And you know what? They're probably the number two team in the AFC East. They're still not on the Bills' level because there's still a very massive gap at quarterback. Yeah, and I think the quarterback conversation will sort of continue to be what we look at with the Patriots as they head into a position where, you know, might they try to trade up? And I think one of the things, Sal, before, you know, even maybe that conversation gets broached, I think one interesting way to, uh, to also look at the moves they've made in free agency, Sal, is, is a lot of the moves were needs um, across the lineup. One area that you argue they shouldn't have had a need at was tight end. They drafted two guys in the third round last year at the tight end position who are now one of them is off the roster. Um, and you start to wonder, were they forced to be as aggressive in free agency as they were because, frankly, they have not drafted well over the last several years? Yeah, this goes back to um, something I've said a few times with Chopin the Bulldog, which is the New England Patriots have never had to critically, seriously be honest in an evaluation about their own franchise since Bill Belichick's been there. It's easy to just let people walk out the door and miss on draft picks when you have Tom Brady covering everything up. When you no longer have him and you actually have to think about how you want to build your team and hit on things, it becomes a lot more critical to hit. It becomes a lot, a lot more pressure to hit, and they haven't done that. I mean, Nate, you know this. You go back to Belichick's you know, his 20 years in New England. This is not new to say that they're not good at drafting. He has not been very good at drafting players. Go look at New England's draft picks since really, I would say, early 2000, like 2005, 2006. Since then, I think, I think he had some nice ones, you know, early on. But this is just a team that has not been very good at drafting football players and developing them. So now you're seeing the effects of, oh my gosh, we actually missed. See the past. If you miss on draft picks, it's okay. We have Tom Brady. Now 
That doesn't happen anymore. They're missing on draft picks, so the way that they have to cover that up, they have to spend money to fix those holes. And that's what it's like, again, to be an actual NFL team, a regular NFL team, which they've never actually had to experience in this run with Belichick and Brady. So last thing I'll ask you about the AFC East sale is Miami. They end up with Will Fuller. Um, they, they swap out Shaq Lawson for McKinney. Um, but overall, a fairly quiet uh, free agency period for the Dolphins, a team that I think their fans would tell you on Twitter, um, they were expecting a little bit more from in a year that you know they were one win away from a playoff spot and um, a, a year where they started to watch the the Patriots, who were you know one slot behind them in the division, make all of these moves. And I think I think the argument can be made that the Patriots were making moves to sort of try to catch up with the Bills, but in doing so, they probably did catch up to the Dolphins. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I think I agree. You know, Dolphins fans would want that. But I, I don't mind the way the Dolphins have gone about it because I think that they did a lot of their work last year. Now they're letting their culture set in. They're letting their, um, you know, they want to bring back most of their guys. But, you know, the guys they have brought in, I really like the Jacoby Brissett pickup. I think he's a very, very good backup quarterback. You know, I mean, he could start in this league. I like Will Fuller a lot in that move. They even brought in Robert Foster. I'm not saying he's going to be a starter, but you know, it shows you that you know they're trying to pick up talent. They're trying to bring guys in to help out Tua and that offense. And by the way, they have the number three overall pick. I mean, if you if they have Devontae Parker, uh, Will Fuller, and Jamar Chase, I mean, come on, mate, Nate, that's a that's a nice little wide receiver trio, right? So I I, I like what they're doing. Um, maybe we'll see. You know where where their overall roster is at the end of the day. They still have some work to do, but that's okay. I mean, this is. This is a Miami team. I think that most of their work was done last year. Like I said, they're now going to let it settle in. And it, I think typically we've learned in the league that if you just go out there and spend a lot of money, it doesn't translate right away, especially if you have less time. Like, we don't know what this offseason looks like, you know, for guys to get on the same page, basically. So, Sal, last thing I have for you here is I don't know if you were as surprised um... – I don't know if you were as surprised as I was about the Mitchell Trubisky move. Um, I, I Part of me was really shocked. The other part of me felt like I called it. So it was a weir- really weird yeah. feeling, you know, like being like, hey, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But really? Like, uh, where did you fall on kind of the surprise scale? And and especially as you watch some of the moves other teams made at quarterback across the lead. I, listen, I, I'm, I'm not uh, some guy that's telling you I think Trubisky's, uh, you know, top end or even, you know, top top 25 starter in the league, but Andy Dalton, I mean, these are guys like, I I feel like he probably still had an opportunity to land somewhere and compete for a job. Instead, he takes a a pretty significant pay cut to come into a situation where he's going to hopefully learn from Brian Dable and and Josh Allen and Ken Dorsey, but how surprised were you about the Trubisky move? Pretty surprised. I never even thought about him necessarily as an option. I know there's have. You might have, too, like you said. Um, Mike Greenberg, he called it basically ESPN. That's why he made a joke and said the Bills are the best-run organization in all of professional football because he had actually said that this is what they should do, and then they did it. So that was kind of funny. Um, you know, I think the other part that you brought up is, is critical here, which is think about it from Mitch Trubisky's side. He's probably looking at what Brian Dable and Ken Dorsey have done with Josh Allen, how much they've really improved his, his game overall, where they went the, the, you know, um, to the AFC Championship game and overall the offense they put together. And the fact that Brian Dable will probably get a head coaching job after next year, we don't know, even after this year when a lot of people thought he would, but maybe he feels, hey, if I can hook my wagon to Brian Dable and that offense and I can learn and I can really show you know, somebody in this league, maybe Brian Dable brings him on somewhere. Maybe he gets a lot of recommendation from Brian Dable or something as he goes on. I think Mitch Trubisky probably does this just as for himself, himself and his future, just as much as he does to join the Buffalo Bills 
and the Bills want him. So it is super interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you know what's funny is a couple of years ago I wrote how if the Bills were to look at a good jump for Josh Allen from year one to year two, look at Mitch Trubisky's jump from year one to year two. And a lot of people said, oh, my gosh, like that's, that's really like uh, – they, they, they said, I, I don't want Josh Allen to be Mitch Trubisky. He should be better than that. I'm like, yeah, I, I agree. That's not my point. My point was I think that if you're looking at a good jump, though, for the baseline stats, so, he, so I think for the last few years they've kind of been compared up until last year a lot, and now they're on the same team, and I think that's kind of funny. All right, Sal, appreciate you, man. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday afternoon and your weekend, and stick by your phone because I, I just, you know, it's although the, the really hot and heavy stuff happened, I just have the feeling something's going to happen here in the next, you know, 24, 48 hours that's going to require some attention. So um, enjoy the rest of your weekend, man. All right, you too. Thanks a lot, man. Awesome. Sal Capaccio there on the Western Hotline. I'm going to take a timeout because Benjamin Albright's going to join me up next out of Denver. He's uh, one of the most locked-in and clued-in guys on the free agent circuit, so we'll get his thoughts on some of the moves this week, what the Broncos are doing, all of that and more on Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR.